1: Believers and believers and strugglers and everybody, welcome to Leaving Hillsong. My name's Tanya and we are going to New York. Today we are meeting Gail and Nate. Gail is a Canadian and her fiancé, Nate, is ex-Hillsong, New York City. They run a podcast called Full Mutuality and I had the pleasure of being interviewed by them not long ago and then we kind of shifted sides of the table and found out more about them. It's a really really interesting look at how Hillsong appealed to you know some of the coolest people in the world in New York City. We do uh jump all over the place we're all kind of a little on the uh, neurodivergent uh, adhd kind of something so it was an interesting combination let me say that so i hope you really enjoy a strong buff jesus part one Well, I mean, I was complaining recently that there weren't enough Americans joining us, and that's why I'm so thrilled to have Gail and Nate here from the Full Mutuality podcast as part of the Dauntless Network. Hi. Um, (laughs) Hi, guys. Hello. Hello. So as we know, and um, the others don't yet, we've just uh, finished a recording. We've just kind of finished, like, you guys interviewing me, and now... Since we're all up and thinking things, I'm going to find out some more about you guys. And um, we're in two
2: different time zones making this work. You're up in the morning, we're at oh night, yeah. and we're like, we're going
1: to do this. Yeah. <laughs> <And a> power- <laughs> Thank you so much for coming and joining us here on Living Hill Song. It's so great to talk to you guys. Hi, Nate.
2: Absolutely. Hi,
3: you- Thank you so much for, uh, for having us.
2: You have been a blast to interview. And, oh, and for your God. listeners, come check out Full
1: Mutuality and listen to Tanya's.
2: interview. Wait, wait, we're
3: supposed to save the plug for the end, right? Okay. Yeah. yeah well,
1: we'll no, 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 no. For people who will end up listening to both, if it gets repetitive, it's like, it's, it's too bad. You know, no pod is perfect. Go <laughs> start your own pod if you don't like exactly. the one. Exactly. <laughs> So, but still um, give us five-star
3: reviews, right? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Tanya um, yes. um, there's so much to talk about. We've been talking for a little while now, and Gail is from an evangelical background. Uh, Nate is Hillsong East Coast, New York City, ex- yeah. I, I
3: left so I, I you know, I left before it became Hillsong East Coast. But oh, yeah, okay. I was, all
1: right. All right. Yeah. Well maybe we'll yeah. So uh Gail has like, no, no, Nate's more about Hillsong, but um these two have got very similar backgrounds. And uh, let's let's see what we got. Oh, all right, Nate, I mean tell me, how did you end up? How did yeah. you find yourself in Hillsong?
3: So it's it's a long and meandering tale. Mm-hmm. <laughs> my my journey towards Hillsong started even before I I knew anything about the the Hillsong as as a church Hillsong as as music etc. I grew up in uh, an American evangelical fundamentalist church. It was part of the the fundamental independent fundamentalist Baptist. Technically, it's a denomination, though they would not they would not oh, call themselves is. a denomination. Um, you guys get
1: so complicated. Yeah, I know,
3: right? They do. They, they got to make it complicated because they are. They love to follow all of these rules. They have like really, you know, they love their sound doctrine and all that stuff. Uh, so I was basically born and raised in that kind of environment. I mean, technically I was born in, in a Southern Baptist church, but then when I was five years old, we we went to an independent uh, fundamentalist church. And I was there for nearly 20 years. And then I left that church. I went to the church. They had a, a Christian school that I went there from from kindergarten, from five or six years old, all the way up until year 12. So when I wow. was 18 and I graduated from okay. there and yeah. it was a, you know, deep, hardcore Christian school. And then I went to a fundamentalist university called Bob Jones University.
2: For those in Australia who don't know who Bob Jones is, because Americans might be more familiar, I'm just going to interject to mm-hmm. say, if you know about Billy Graham, he has an honorary degree okay. from Bob Jones yeah. If you know about Westboro Baptist Church, and who's the leader there, Nate? Fred Fred Phelps. Fred Fred Phelps. Phelps. He has a degree from Bob Jones. If you've ever read any left-behind books or maybe seen the movies based on the books, Tim LaHaye graduated from Bob Jones. I'm not even done. John MacArthur. Oh. Right. If you know yeah. who John MacArthur is, graduate oh, yeah. from Bob Jones. So Bob mm-hmm. Jones
1: University is a crazy fundamentalist university. Yeah. I'm like, using the to work crazy. It's- you know, growing up, his teacher was like, no one will ever know your name, Bob Jones. He's like, <laughs> I'm going to show you. He's like, I'm going <laughs> to let you know. At these educational institutions attached to the same church because this is what I always worry about for kids at right. Christian schools like the principal is the pastor and stuff it was that
3: right so at the ch- the the church and school that i went to from you know preschool elementary well, elementary middle school high school prior to my university years it was connected to the church i attended they were they were run by the same organization though the pastor at the church was not the principal of the school so they sa- sort of separated in, in those terms, to a degree, they held to a lot of the fundamentalist rules that the church kind of stood for. And, and they, inf- they certainly enforced them at the school, but they liked to market themselves as a general Christian school. Uh, they were just far more conservative than most of the uh-huh. other conservative mm. Christian schools in the area a couple of years ago they actually closed so that was an interesting an interesting weird feeling because that was a part of my life for a uh, 15 16 wow. uh, 13 yeah. years so yeah i was there from uh 5 years old to 18 years old so yeah
1: and I mean, like Difficult reasons
3: for closing or just... Uh, I mean, j- enrollment uh, was down. It was just, you know, they, they weren't able to sustain. Yeah, so... so Were they
1: a feeder school for Bob
2: Jones? They were,
3: yeah. So anyway, yeah, the church and the school were a feeder for Bob Jones University. So I grew up around the New York City area. I um, I grew up around 45 minutes from from Manhattan. Uh, I now live about 20 minutes from Manhattan, no traffic. So, you know, on a normal day, about an hour and a half. <laughs> So that's where I'm, where I'm from regionally. And then I, to go to university, Bob Jones University is in Greenville, South Carolina, which is about a 12, 13 hour drive from, from this area. And I went there for four years. I got my uh, bachelor of arts okay. in creative writing and publication from that university. Unfortunately, it's not a fully accredited university. So being able to you know transfer the credits to a graduate institution that isn't another Christian school was incredibly difficult most state public and even you know private uh, institutions that had full accreditation didn't accept transfer credits from Bob Jones University they have since I believe it was in 2015 Fifteen, They obtained full accreditation, which that now allows, you know, alumni and, and graduates to be able to transfer credits a little bit more easily and, and current students. But it's there are still challenges for a number of uh, alums. So did, did you know that also... when you
1: signed up that you were? not You know,
3: to... I, I I knew and didn't know there there were okay. there are certain things that you kind of have an idea about going in. But you you don't think so like you know being in in a fundamentalist world it's very much a, a cult it's very intertwined with each other they look at the rest of the world as with with a lot of suspicion and they tell you that you know that's like don't try to be like the world so yeah. that also includes don't don't try to you know professionally advance yourself don't like that none of that is important the only thing I'm that matters started. is your yep. stand with Christ yeah. exactly you know you're so. So I I knew to a degree going in that my degree from Bob Jones might not be worth a whole lot outside of the fundamentalist Christian world, but I didn't care because that that was the the only world I knew and it was the only world that mattered to me. Don't see sparrows worrying about
1: things
2: and
3: hairs on your head and stuff. Right, right. Yeah. Can I yeah. add
2: in some more Bob Jones facts before you move on? From- <laughs> yes. Yeah.
3: yeah. So, so we um, on on our podcast, we recently had some conversations surrounding Bob Jones University, and I was recently on another friend's podcast talking. Uh, he has a podcast called Chapel Probation, where he he takes a critical look at evangelical universities and institutions of quote, unquote, higher education.
2: Like Hillsong college.
3: Like, Oh, Hillsong college would be something I'm sure he'd be interested in, in tackling. So, so I was recently there on his podcast talking about Bob Jones. And so there's a lot of, but Gail has been listening and, and we've been talking a lot about Bob Jones. stuff. So she picked up a lot of Bob Jones. I mean,
2: American history is fascinating. And to know Bob Jones fought desegregation and was an institution that like a lot of Supreme court rulings came down like they almost lost tax accreditation yeah, they did. because they wanted to keep segregation yeah. going. And they help. lost
3: they did they lost their educational tax exempt oh. status because of the rules that they had against
2: Was it interracial dating I, I don't so think was it,
3: it was no, it was their their lack of admission of black students. Amazing. And the rules surrounding yeah. like when they finally acquiesced, the rules surrounding Black students' admission into Bob Jones, and then they continued a policy all the way up until the year two thousand. They continued a policy of no interracial dating at all.
2: In the year two thousand, so wow. didn't they, Here is white evangelical Christianity for you, and it's many forms and flavors. Yeah.
3: yeah. So what? So they,
2: you can come to the college, but don't date each other.
3: Exactly. Right. So you can. <laughs> exactly. you
2: can and so, for your audience that can't see, Nate is not white, no. in case you didn't know, because he doesn't sound but, maybe new, but he's I, Asian, so.
1: Okay, So, and, and what was that like for you there? I mean, could you sense that? I mean, can is Christian- uh, now- So,
3: the part of it, too, was like, having been born and raised in a very conservative, white, Christian, evangelical environment, I didn't really recognize my own racial identity until- much later in life, uh, coming to a full awareness of my, of what my ethnicity meant in terms of how I navigate society. That honestly didn't hit me until, you know, recent years.
2: COVID probably? Well, COVID
3: was certainly the, the big, one of the big catalysts for, for, for me. But I think while I was there, I didn't really recognize it a whole lot simply because the, the policy had been taken out a couple of years before I arrived But I did feel some of the repercussions of it. So, like, there was a girl that I went out with who had to get a permission slip signed saying that she was allowed, by her parents, allowed to date somebody who wasn't white.
2: Those people cannot see Tanya's face right now, but you all should see Tanya's expression (laughs) listening to this right now. That was close to my expression when I heard Nate tell me the story. Yeah.
3: So, so, um, I, I, to this day, I don't know if that was, you know, a, a policy that, that the university had at that yeah. or that was like her parents trying to enforce uh-huh. something. I don't know. But regardless, the, the atmosphere there was certainly hostile, but I, again, I didn't recognize it really. I think I felt some of it to a degree and saw that, okay, there, there's something seriously wrong with this, but I didn't. See what it what Didn't
2: it. Didn't you have okay. dorms named after KKK oh, members at your at your yeah. university? Yes. Yeah. Okay.
3: Is- uh, so, I I was living in a uh, a dorm room. <laughs> the, uh, sorry, a dorm building. Uh, that was named after mm-hmm. a a grand cyclops. I think it was a grand cyclops of the KKK. The guy, uh, the guy was named Bib Graves, and I had, mm-hmm. uh, I certainly didn't feel comfortable with that. So I'd submitted what? a request to transfer to another building, but they didn't. Aww. They didn't think it was a legitimate they transfer. Didn't let requ- you. Yeah, because oh they didn't think it was a legitimate transfer request. <laughs> <laughs> so like the reason that you don't want to live in that building in order to, to actually have a legitimate transfer request, there there had to be I don't even remember what the what the terms were, or why, like what reason you, you could have that they would actually honor. But the fact that your dorm building was named after a Grand Cyclops of the KKK, that didn't fly. And I and felt
1: like like, going around like calling yourself a grand cyclops <laughs> or like a
3: global
1: senior interim. You, do you know what I mean? It's that same kind of thing, isn't it?
3: Yeah. We're, Welcome we, to
1: American
2: evangelicalism. Yeah. Oh yeah. wow. So
3: we, okay. So, so, so Bob Jones, while uh, during my junior year of, of college, that was when I started to really kind of kick against a lot of the standards that uh, fundamentalism had. And I loved, I grew up loving, Christian rock music, uh, like the, the more pop rock style, but that all of that was off limits at my church, at my school, at my university. So, so the the fact that it was off limits made me love it more.
2: It was contraband. It was,
3: yeah, it was contraband at my school. And I felt like that was my expression of worship. And there was my, my introduction into Hillsong. Now, I didn't. I didn't really see Hillsong as this like necessarily the the most meaningful uh, m- music for me at the time. I was much more into. I think it was Cutlass and Re- Reliant K and the Newsboys. Newsboys.
2: Uh, Newsboys. Yeah.
3: Oh yeah. They're home. Kind of homegrown for you to a degree. <laughs> old <school. laughs> yeah. Old, old school. And so that was the the music that I listened. But I, I was aware uh, of you know Darlene Check uh, and some of the early Hillsong stuff.
2: If you brought Hillsong into Bob Jones and you played it, would you get would you get in trouble? Yeah, you would get yeah. in trouble. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. it's very fundamentalist. They're yeah. very like only hymns and like yeah. no instruments. Yeah,
3: yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know what it would sure be like nowadays because I know that yeah. I know that it's it's changed a lot in in recent years. But uh, but when I was there, that that was considered contraband. So I left after I graduated from Bob Jones University. I came back home, started going back to my uh, my old fundamentalist church. And it just I I did not feel comfortable there. So I started attending a church that took a lot of the Hillsong style, but they 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 got real kitschy and, and, and cheesy with it. So the the, ch- <laughs> the church was called Liquid Church
2: give the tagline nate yeah, you have yeah. to give
1: the tagline
3: living water for a thirsty world
1: wow if you're a young person <laughs> I, mean, I mean if you're i just, you just feel yeah. like there's so many solutions these people have got so many answers to the entire <laughs> planet <laughs> yes. they,
3: they really do they really do so, wow. I uh,
1: wait, wait. So, you went from a university called BJ
2: University yes. to going to Living Water for a Thirsty World. These are all euphemisms. Yeah. I'm sorry to all the people yeah. listening, but well, this yeah, is all like sexual it. references. Yeah. It's just, yeah. it's just I Sorry, how to Tanya's really mom not listening. i I we're <laughs> sorry.
1: We're <You> really <laughs> sorry. Learning. Oh, that wait, would be exciting, that. though, compared to like.
3: Oh, it was very exciting. Liquid had like they had a rock band on stage. I, that was foreign to me, but I loved rock, so I was like, "Yeah, this is great." They, you know, the the pastor was uh, was he was he was engaging. They had a TV screen up on stage with like they would show clips from from movies, and he was he was really up on pop culture. And everybody wore jeans. Oh, and you were allowed to drink. Like after service, they would go to the they would go uh-huh. hang out at the hotel bar. The, the the We we met at a at a hotel conference center, and there was a little little bar. Pastors and everybody would go hang out there like after.
2: So you went from sheltered
1: to being cool all of a
2: sudden. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Right. That was, it was the cool church. And then from there.
1: I mean, it makes total sense. Like, totally. Yes. That's what I'm thinking. Like, yeah. the cool church, we feel the setup coming. They must know. Maybe that is part of that appeal to the Americans is like there is so much rigidity in other systems. Yeah. And then these, you know, these guys came along. Sorry. Oh, absolutely. That's a
2: fascinating point, Tanya. I hadn't actually thought about Hillsong's marketing and how well, rigidity why? in American churches would actually be an appeal to bringing in a church like Hillsong. hmm.
1: So oh, you know, any- so, you know, people from from more rigid backgrounds, you know, um, Catholic mass yeah. or, you know, really strict. Yeah.
3: Oh, Oh. 100 percent. Yeah. There's I mean, Catholicism isn't as big in most of the states. I mean, the northeast uh, U.S. Catholicism has a, a stronger foothold. But around the U.S., you have more of the kind of stodgy old Baptist vibe going that's what i grew up with so you know and 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 when i was at liquid that was my first exposure to hillsong united the band and they they came and they were touring the u.s and did um, you go to a
2: concert while you were at liquid oh yeah
3: i went to multiple hillsong united concerts and then you know hillsong worship band they came to tour the u.s and so every time they were in new york city i would go
1: and what were they like what was that like
3: that was that was that, so that's, cool. It honestly it fired me <laughs> up because uh, I mean the the production value the 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 sound it was it was it was overwhelming of an experience and I absolutely I I drank it up. I was obsessed with that kind of stuff and I always I always wished. Liquid was a little bit more like, like... They tried, and a lot of the worship leaders and the music directors, they tried to replicate Hillsong, but there's... A, they were only, cheesier than Hillsong. Yeah, they were definitely much cheesier than Hillsong. But you can only go so far in replicating Hillsong if you don't have Hillsong's money. Um, the
2: budget to
1: make yeah. everything the show that it
2: is. Yeah,
3: yeah. so... I mean,
1: they, they had superior musical equipment to the Sydney Opera House, so you know, that like that's announces- not
3: you know it does wow. not surprise me in the least so while I was at liquid I was serving in their children's ministry area and I got very very heavily involved there doing you know production for children's ministry, small small group leadership um, and then eventually I was hired when when uh, the church wanted to expand to multiple campuses and they hired me on to 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 work in their, children's ministry for one of their second campuses for their second campus. And while I was there, it was a part-time job. And I was really thinking, I want to, I want to go into ministry full time. And I found out about this, this startup church, <laughs> another, another name called emergence and that church, they were just getting started and they needed a uh, children's pastor. So I went, I interviewed and uh, I, I got the the job offer to, to be their full-time uh, children's minister so I worked there for uh, almost five years, Hi. and that church was very much in line with um, the sort of neo-Reformed, neo-Calvinist movement. So I don't know if everybody on in, in, Do you listens- have that
2: in
1: Australia? The neo-Reform? Did it get Mark Driscoll? Did he get into Australia at all? Is that like that whole AI Calvinism? AI. Calvinism? whatever the population is now 26 million or something It's like it, it's small so we don't have as many of these okay yeah, these oh. different brands i'm happy they didn't make it into yeah. australia too much then
3: that's that's a, that's a like a harsher brand uh, of christianity the, some of the names that are attached to that world are uh guys like john piper uh matt chandler mark driscoll they 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 love to preach like the macho man gospel. Like right. Driscoll is famous for talking about, you know, like I I wouldn't worship a Jesus that I could beat up.
2: So ridiculous. Yeah.
3: So the church that that I worked, the Emergence that I worked for for five years, they they kind ate of, up that stuff. Yeah, and they, they kind of aligned themselves with that style of church and that theology, and they ended up joining the Acts Twenty Nine Network, which was the the church planting network that Mark Driscoll started, Mark Driscoll being the, the, the founding and lead pastor of Mars Hill Church, which famously imploded when, when it was discovered how abusive and narcissistic their lead pastor was.
2: That's so, not common at all oh, in the evangelical no, world.
3: Not at all. We don't see <laughs> that. We don't see that everywhere.
2: I'm so glad,
1: Tanya, you have the gift of sarcasm like we do.
2: It's a spiritual <laughs> gift.
1: It is. It was, yeah. It was it's, so unpredictable. It probably never happened yeah.
3: again. Oh, no, we're not going to see it again. Last week with Matt Chandler, uh, that was the last time. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, so uh, I I worked there for five years. And while I was there, so I drank Calvinist Kool-Aid for a little bit, you know, drank.
2: uh, What does that look like, Nate, Calvinist (sighs) Kool-Aid? So that's like. It
1: like, I mean, uh, yeah. (laughs)
3: It tastes like wrath. <laughs> wrath of God. <laughs> wrath judgment of God. and sovereignty, sovereignty and hatred. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and you sinful
2: God. bad person God. <laughs> just destined for hell.
3: God, God hates you. You you are uh, totally and utterly <laughs> depraved. Cannot think a right thought. The
2: worm of a human. Yeah. These are expressions they like.
3: Yeah, except for the grace. Ex- were it not for the grace of God, you would be nothing but vermin. Worse than vermin.
2: That's such an oppressive, horrible, like God hates you vibe to have to deal with all the time. Oh
3: yeah. Um, I mean, <laughs> I remember their their Good Friday service. They they sang a song, and and the, so the vibe at this church was like they and they didn't like Hills. They really did not like Hillsong.
2: I wonder why yeah. and how that set yeah. you up for Hillsong oh, later. Yeah.
3: So so the vibe at this church was like the post grunge, like just angsty hipster with like the big beard, and they and they like you know, the, the Portland mountain man brewing lots of beer and they, and they loved to, to the, to the, the, you know, macho man, Jesus gospel. Right. And so I remember one good Friday service,
2: Sorry, WWE wrestling Jesus. Oh yeah, right? exactly.
3: Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So I'm like, yeah, this Jesus that like, that, you know, was crucified. You, you imagine like, I love that. I, I, I almost feel like they would imagine that Jesus like, you know, beat, <laughs> Uh, beat up like, you know, 300 guys before they actually were able to nail him to the cross because like he was, you know, divinely... He wasn't a sissy uh, man. He no, was no. a strong buff. Yeah, he threw
2: that he cross like up gr- you know, He didn't look know, like a girlfriend.
3: Yeah, yeah. he he <laughs> <laughs> he threw that cross up the hill like a javelin. 40 guys in the wilderness,
1: I'll do 40 years, let's go. Right, I understand. i <laughs> yeah. a, a challenge. I'm not
3: a challenge. Exactly. <laughs> So so yeah. Uh, the, so this Good Friday service, there was a um, there was a song. This is a, how like just how they view themselves, how we were taught to view ourselves as people, as as you know, humans that suppo- suppose God supposedly loved. Right? They they have this lyric in one of their songs that that said, "Judas sold you for thirty. I'd have done it for less." Wow. Like like that. Ugh. Like you I mean, like I am the worst possible being. Uh, in existence, wow. and that's what they taught. So
2: that's what you
1: came out of. Yeah, 2740, so. like, how much less? Like, was it negotiable? Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, there were a bunch of Jews. Do you know what I mean? The disciples. Oh, yeah. So, like, t- I, don't I know, know the, hard, the, the, hard, like, the hard the hard the heart-killing hard questions.
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs> so, so I was there for for a while, and uh, and then eventually was asked to resign. I to this day don't really know exactly why. They never gave me a clear reason. I have suspicions, but that's like a whole, a whole, that feels, I feel like that's a whole other podcast, but that led me after, you know, and, and during my time at Emergence Hillsong was cranking out music uh, and they were cranking out some, some, some bangers. I
2: remember that. I remember (laughs) that era. I own some of their albums.
3: Oh yeah. I mean, that's when Hillsong uh, young and free came about. I remember the the album Glorious ruins came out. and i I so I, I took the title song and I actually led worship one one evening. Uh, with the song Glori- "Glorious Ruins" and it fit doctrinally, it fit the church emergence, but they had they took issue with it because it's hillsong, <laughs> you know, it's not it's not angsty and and angry and and wrath of God enough. So um, the album
2: was like one way Jesus and all that.
3: Oh, that was that was before then. That was um, I was in liquid when that when that that
2: was when I ha- I actually had that album I memorized um, the whole thing. They're great oh. songs, I mean, and the kids'
1: music was great. Like every step I take, I take oh we yeah.
3: You know
1: yeah, that was Hillsong, yeah. That
3: was wow. Hillsong, yeah. And that was, um, and that made its way onto United Albums. That's not how.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was great.
3: oh man, those were yeah. re-
1: great.
2: I and, mean, in like I lived in Canada, right? Like, I'm not part of Nate's story in, in going to Hillsong, but even in my all my evangelical churches, we played Hillsong music. We yeah. definitely played this stuff. I knew all the Hillsong. They infiltrated Canada, guys. Like, the mm-hmm.
3: oh, they were everywhere. everywhere. They were everywhere. They were
2: evangelical church backdrop, basically, yeah. no matter where okay. you were.
3: No matter where you went. And, like, even churches that were trying to fight against it, they would, like, even my church, they acquiesced a couple of times. There were, actually, what song was it that they allowed because of the, the opening? So, uh, what what was the name of the song? Forever Rain, right? Our executive pastor allowed me to lead worship with Forever Rain, introduced that song because, and I, I have a sneaky suspicion that that because of the opening lyric of Forever Rain goes, you are good, you are good when there's nothing good in me.
2: It's like right. the wrath that you were having in your own right. church. Okay, this sets you up for Hillsong, all this wrath.
3: Oh, yeah, yeah. All the wrath of God stuff definitely definitely set me up. So after, after resigning from yeah. Emergence, Hillsong had already opened up. While I was working at Emergence, Hillsong opened up their their New York location. So I was very, very fully aware of what was going on there. Oh, quick little anecdote. anecdote. So my brother, while I was still working at Emergence, my brother was getting involved with the Hillsong New York band. And they, they were looking for rehearsal space and like our, the, the emergence had a full, you know, that we had a re- recording studio, we had the, you know, the stage set up, everything was kind of primed for, for a band to come in. So I told my brother, I'm like, yeah, come, uh, come on by, I'll open, you know, I'll open the building on a Saturday and, you know, you can plug in and and use, and use our space for rehearsal. So they came and they did, was they rehearsed. Was your
2: brother at Hillsong at that point? Yeah, my brother was at Hillsong at that point. Oh, okay. um, He's so
3: they one ca- of the worship leaders. Yeah. So they came in and, and they, they did a rehearsal. This was before he, he became a uh, worship leader. I think he was just playing bass at the time. And they came in and rehearsed and I, and they did, uh, they were rehearsing. And my brother sang it. My brother's got, got an incredible voice and, and he was singing. It was the Young and Free song. Uh, that, that one that really tugs, it was their first album and it really you tugs at your heart, heartstrings. Oh, what was it? What was it? Um, I believe
2: in you. you uh, can't get it's it.
3: it's really
1: tip of your tongue.
3: Yeah, it's it's actually it's. I don't think it's going to come back to me because it's like my brain is not going in that direction right now. But anyway, so they were they came in and they rehearsed, and I remember just feeling very moved by by all of just a rehearsal. And uh, they rehearsed a couple of times, and I went out and hung out with uh, with the band and, and with a few other people, and we went out to to grab food and drinks after their rehearsal. And I, I thought they were great. They were much more down to earth than the people that I was with at, at Emergence. And the other thing, too, is there was some ethnic diversity. Emergence was a very white church. Hmm. And Hillsong, despite the the, the way that it is—I'm sure it's it's different in in, uh, in Australia— but in, in they le-
2: were marketing themselves well in New York, though they knew they what were. they were doing. It's a diverse city.
3: Yeah, and that's the thing too. It's a uh, New York City is a very ethnically diverse city, and so you know something with that much marketing appeal can can grab people from all sorts of backgrounds. And uh, that's when I, you know, when I sat in this group of people, I saw people that that looked like me that it wasn't an entirely white group i felt so much more comfortable with them so that was my first introduction to the group of people at hillsong and i really liked them i didn't think i was going to end up with them because i my my career at emergence was still it you hadn't know, come in, to an end, right and it, i was still in full swing there uh, sure i was like uncomfortable with what emergence was teaching but i didn't feel any need to leave and then they they <laughs> obviously pushed me out eventually um, and after I left emergence, I, I didn't really want to go to church right away, but.
2: Did you take a break?
3: Like maybe a week or two. Oh boy. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't really, yeah. It wasn't really a break from church. It wasn't enough to, to really like clear my head or, or really, you know, reflect on what, it, what I had just been through. So I figured I I didn't want to go to any, any church that I already knew, because uh, and, and there nothing were
2: nothing that preached about the wrath of God. You well, were there, yeah,
3: well, I was done with that. But the thing the thing that I was also concerned about was because I had spent years when I was working as the children's minister at, at Emergence, I had been doing a lot of networking and I had built up a network of children's ministry leaders at various churches around uh, New Jersey and, and the New York City area. And so I didn't want to go to a church where I would be recognized and Hillsong kind of Kind of fit because I mean, there were thousands upon thousands of people at that church, and I could go in and I could sneak in, and no one would recognize me.
1: Interesting. Um, Okay. We've always wondered, like, so much about.
3: Yeah, I'm sorry. I, you you were asking about the appeal, like. What, well, yeah. I
1: mean, the, I've, I've said it so many million times, but I found Brian like so boring. We had much better <laughs> entertainment. Yeah.
3: Oh, so that's that's something funny, and, yeah, and I do want to go into so like boring. what what was what was going on at at Hillsong New yeah. York and why it was appealing, because it wasn't Brian Houston. God, like I remember multiple times Brian would come into town, and you know they, everybody would talk. Oh, Brian Houston's here. Brian Brian Houston's here, and like. Uh, My friends and I, we were all sitting there going, like, help me, please. Why Why is this guy
2: like what does he have to offer?
3: Who who is this guy and why do we care what he has to say? I mean, most people. Yeah. for, For most people, once Hillsong New York launched, the appeal was certainly Carl. Carl was a yeah. charismatic speaker. Carl Lentz. He had the look. I mean, he was all tatted up. He wore the, the the, the, the shot chiseled abs,
1: The chiseled abs and the
3: beard oh, yeah, yeah. showing
1: off. I, like, I would have like, I would have been Jim Jones all over Carl Lentz, right? I would have been like, let me make the Kool-Aid. Let me yeah. give it to people what he, he is. like, I used to see these interviews and Brian would be like drooling in front of Carl Lentz because he was like, <laughs> Wow, yeah. I really struck gold here. Yeah. So, okay, cool. Because, I mean, can you imagine, right, Brian's going like, oh, we're going to take over the world and we're going to fill stadiums. Be like, sure you are, Brian. Like, yeah, yeah, you are, really. Yeah. no,
3: not not you, Brian. And Tanya, um,
1: you're like, yeah, no, that's not going to happen. No, of course not. No. How do they appeal to you guys, the smoothest, so, uh, coolest people in the world? Um, <laughs> <laughs> Nate, you're so cool.
3: Oh, yeah, you're I'm not cool.
1: You're the coolest person
3: we're in
0: the
2: world.
3: <laughs> I, we were just ha- we actually interestingly enough before before we got on the call with you we were hanging out with an, uh, a friend of one of my closest friends who was also an ex-hillsonger he invented
2: um, the term hillsong head which <laughs> makes me laugh so hard because you know like in the u.s there's uh, something called sneaker heads it's people who wait in line to get the newest pair of sneakers and they'll like to be cool it's like such a big deal yeah and they're all like
3: standing in line waiting for the new drop and so <laughs>
2: he used that for so hillsong he, he, people and he cool. them hillsong heads yeah, so he calls them, yeah
3: so so anyway like the the appeal for for us was really that I think honestly they like Hillsong's great at marketing and th- the appeal for for New Yorkers was this sort of like Carl did this whole he he called you know church in the wild and that was a th- that was a thing that he a phrase that he used to use to describe Hillsong NYC. What lot. does that
2: mean church in the wild? Like know. how is that uh, mean- I think it was
3: it was this idea of like a, a cool urban, stylized church so one of the things that I that I did notice about Hillsong NYC versus uh, sort of the, the, the packaged Hillsong that I would you know watch music videos and, and buy their albums at the local Christian bookstore. One of the things that I noticed that made the Hillsong NYC felt different was there was a kind of very sort of urban grunge to Hillsong NYC that didn't seem to exist at Hillsong globally. And I don't know if that was something that that ended up like making its way back out into the Hillsong world outside of uh, Hillsong NYC. But that was something that that they I changed
2: think, their music style in New York.
3: They, they didn't so much change the music style, but I think they allowed for a little a little bit of creativity. Uh, of course, you know, Hillsong's very lock step you know the, this is the click track you got to stick with the, you know they were very very specific about how the music was played but there was a certain level of of quote unquote groundedness that i think uh i think part of it too was that you know, Carl loved to talk about how Hillsong was meeting in clubs and you know, they were meeting at Irving Plaza for, an, like, oh, for they people met a who gra- don't know yeah.
2: New York City. Irving Plaza.
3: Yeah. So Irving Plaza is a, um, a well-known venue in Union Square. You know, great acts have played there, but it's like it's notorious for okay. it's kind of like late night, you know, a lot a lot of weed being smoked there. It was just this It's a club vibe, right? Yeah. Uh, kind of, kind of. It's just a great venue. I've seen I've seen a number of shows there. And it's just it's a great, like old school New York venue. And that was one of the early venues that that Hillsong NYC was meeting at. They had met at Gramercy before then, and Gramercy's another one. Like that sort of downtown New York City urban, grungy feel, you know. And that was something that Hillsong NYC just did. They and picked
2: I, their locations very intentionally. To a mm,
3: I, I think so. I, I think part of it too is so. There's there's a little bit of both and there. I think yes, they they were intentional about picking their locations, but also it's what New York offered. It was not like they could like go to MSG right away and and start playing it like the crisp, pristine, clean. When they got to Hammerstein Ballroom, Hammerstein Ballroom is sort of like this big, pristine venue that they eventually got to. That's when I think. Hillsong NYC sort of lost that grungy edge, that sort of urban edge, oh. and they were playing like big tourist venue kind of thing. So they became an attraction. The people from around the country, around the world, were coming to, you know, uh, Hammerstein Ballroom, or they were playing in Times Square too. They went to, to PlayStation Theater for, for I think about a year right in Times Square. So the glitz and glamour kind of replaced that sort of Downtown Brooklyn, kind of. Well, it's not necessarily Brooklyn, it was obviously Manhattan, but, but they had that sort of yeah. earthy Brooklyn feel, which appealed to the New York sensibility. And then as they kept growing and growing and growing, and were attracting more people. And another thing, I don't know if this was something that was common around the Hillsong world, but Hillsong NYC for sure. There was the you know the, they would hold doors until they were ready to open, which created right. these que- these queues all around the block. Uh-huh. And so, it looked- did they do
1: that in Australia or is that in New York? No, I, I mean not that I know of. I mean they may well have at conferences okay. and stuff. We don't have the populations, but I mean that's right. why we saw queues around the block. Okay, that makes okay. sense.
3: For right. yeah, for for us, it, it created that you know, a uh, so club, because cl- people that's what, on the streets right.
2: passing by were like, what is this yeah. lineup? Who are, who's playing here is that everyone's in line waiting for this? And that's,
3: and that's, that's it. Like yeah. we, I mean, one of the things about, about New York city and, and Montreal, there's this sort of like, like when there's a line outside of a, of a venue, outside of a club, of a restaurant, uh, they're like, yeah. what is this? There's place? this sense of like, what's going on there. Let's get in line. Let's this see what's happening. This a popular spot. Yeah,
2: yeah. Cause it's when there. you see a
3: line, I mean like on a weekend in New York, city you see a line a lot of people like dressed like they're going to a concert to a club to some kind of meetup everybody wants to get in line so people like oh yeah get in line get so the the line just keeps growing and that's that was the the appeal and then you go in and it's this this you know concert vibes and then and then carl comes out in his you know shot perfecto jacket and he's like you know with that slick back hair that he had you know eventually Uh and he just it was cool.
2: How did you uh-huh. get there though? How oh, yeah. did you, how did end, you didn't even specify how did oh, you yeah. land yourself there from emergence, from that stodgy yeah. macho, you know, God's wrath. And then you, you skip church for a bit for two weeks.
0: <laughs> no. And then
2: you, and then you end up at Hillsong. How did that happen?
3: I ended up at a play at, at Hillsong because my brother was leading worship and it was a, a large enough church that I could, that I could go there. And I, I felt like there was, less of a risk of me running into somebody who would recognize me from my children's ministry network days. And that was a thing too. I kept going to bigger and bigger churches. So like the church I grew up in was max on a Sunday, 90 people and then liquid at the time that I was attending liquid, there were probably about 1800 people. They were starting to hit that like mega church status. And And then
2: emergence,
3: emergence our first Sunday when we launched, we had 1100 people and it, and I think by the time I left, they were total at all their campuses and services, probably about five thousand. Liquid eventually reached, I think, twenty five thousand across all campuses.
2: And Hillsong was way bigger than those. Did you feel like there was a safety in numbers?
3: There, yeah, there, in my mind, there was a sense of safety in numbers. In terms yeah. of what kind of safety, um,
1: like these people have got to get it have got it right, or like, um,
3: well, yeah. So like, uh, growing yeah. up in fundamentalism, ending up at, like being at a church that had like ninety people.
1: And
2: had so many rules, like you can't do anything and you get in trouble.
3: Yeah. I started to feel like, okay, 90 people can be wrong, but a thousand people, maybe, maybe a thousand people, you know, have figured it out. And then seeing that those thousand people were, were like connected to another, like 15,000 people over there and and they were and they were sharing resources they were networking together their leaders were meeting and having conferences together so then i end up at hillsong which has like i think at the time i started attending i think there were like 18,000 ish people at the Montclair campus, the midtown campus, and the downtown campus combined. They were doing like six services on, on in okay, Midtown. Okay, so they had three
1: different three different venues. And I'm wondering, yeah. are they made up of people like you? Are they people from other churches? Or are they making converts on the streets of New York City? Is this Oh, that's, that's
3: that's such a good, Yeah that's yeah. actually that's a very good question because so I'm I believe particularly so Montclair doesn't, I mean, Montclair is a, as a, as a town. That's in New Jersey. Yeah. Sorry. Montclair is outside of New York. Yeah. It's a, Montclair is a suburb of New York city. Uh, we're about 20 minutes away from the city and, and Montclair, it's a very progressive town, but one of the things about New Jersey and evangelicalism in New Jersey is that there, there, there's a lot of movement from one thing to the next. So, so Hillsong Montclair was not made up of Montclair people. It was made up of people from all over New Jersey who just couldn't afford to cross the river into New York City every every time Hillsong had an event, which wasn't just Sunday. Of course, we had, you know, Sunday services, Monday leadership meeting, Tuesday, I don't remember what was going on on Tuesdays, uh, Wednesday connect group, Thursday creative team night, Friday Youth Saturday, it might be like
2: they kept you guys really busy. Did wow. they do that
1: in Australia? Was that a part of your programming? Again, part of the standard cult kind of thing. Oh,
3: absolutely, yeah. Because you don't have time to to like question. You don't have time to reflect. Or
1: how long does it take? I mean, you've been trained your whole life to to live this life. How long is it taking yeah. you before you walk into Hillsong? Before you do in your six seven days, like how? Um-
3: I was at Hillsong for about a month before I signed up for a team. And I didn't want to get involved in a high-profile team at the time. I just wanted to, like, I did greeting, I think. I, I joined the greeter team um, you, or host team or something like that.
2: Before you get back to greeting, Nate, I do want to cut you off. Can you explain why Hillsong was refreshing to you coming out of the background that you came from before?
3: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because Hillsong, one of the things that Hillsong loved to emphasize was God's love. So going back oh. a little bit to that that uh, Good Friday service, they had, you know, the, the emergence... Uh, church service had that you know wrath that like you're you're so sinful you know judas sold you for 30 i'd have done it for less and then to go from that what the stark contrast my first uh good friday service at at Hillsong oh yeah it was young that young and free song finally it came back to my mind sinking deep it was the one the chorus because like love so deep wait lo- uh damn it i don't remember it um but like it's it's really just you know the depth of of God's love. Right.
2: Completely different message for you. Yeah.
3: So what I was taking from, from their good Friday service, which frankly, you know, the, the sermon, you know, take it or leave it. It was probably like Matt barges and he's a some, terrible, some terrible, boring, yeah, boring, some boring level ass a white dude, uh, <laughs> mediocre white guy who, you know, never, never was really trained in public speaking. He's just like, you look good in a leather jacket, now. go up on stage now. and preach.
1: You know what I mean? You're still not narrowing it
3: down.
2: Mediocre white guys who
3: weren't really trained. <laughs> with yeah, that's the, yeah, yeah. Exactly. That's the that's the entirety of uh, <laughs> of stuff. But uh, the
2: songs are about the love of God.
3: Yeah, and that's what what kind of Ocean stuff. that's what yeah oceans right yeah. That's
2: one. That's one that everybody knows. Oceans and yeah. the love of God. In yeah.
3: Song. So I just like you know got sucked into that. I mean, like the the glorious ruins was a song that really. Hit me at that place because I was surround. I was inundated with this wrath of God, kind of. And, and they were they were so em- they emphasized death. It was like death of Christ, blood of Not Christ.
2: Not De- No. Before
3: oh yeah, 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 yeah. Emergence. Right. That was that was their emphasis. So then I hear this song "Glorious Ruins," where it's let the ruins come to life, right? Um, and it's this this sense of of resurrection, of joy, of of new life.
1: So what year are we talking here? Please. We're
3: talking um, between 2011 and 2015. And how's everyone
1: m- feeling about 9/11 at this point, ten years later? If well, tw- Nate might have a lot of thoughts on 9/11 being so, a New Yorker, yeah. But I mean, <laughs> to, were they capitalizing on New Yorkers kind of picking themselves up from ruins, or I don't know? So
3: I, I was still at Emergence on the 10 year anniversary i didn't hit hillsong until 2014 i didn't start attending hillsong i was paying attention to the to to like the opening of of hillsong church and you know my brother had started going there and so i was i was trying to keep an eye on this church and i was very interested because i loved the music so much but i didn't start attending until 2014 but as far as like how i, w- I and i can't obviously can't speak for every uh, <laughs> every new yorker but i think there's this feeling of we're over it. It's sort of like, you know, uh, yes, it's a national trauma, but I think there's this sense of parts of the country that are so far removed from us.
2: They have a lot of opinions on it. Yeah.
3: And they capitalize on it. And, And the other thing too is, you know, New York city is a very, a very diverse city. Right. And one of the things that we've gotten really sick of is the Islamophobia that is coupled with, the sort of loyalty to America in in right. the aftermath of 9-11. And,
2: but that's going on outside of New York City. It's not the vibe inside New York yeah, City. right. I, I wouldn't be
3: surprised if there was some, if that was. that if they was, were
2: using the Springsteen song as a back somehow <laughs>
1: backdrop. I mean, they've got like, I am what you say I am, and I'm like. Does Eminem know? It's like you know all those <laughs> oh, that's really right. like ripping off
2: people's <laughs> oh, yeah. titles left, right, yeah. and center. I at mean, Song. Look, that's so shocking. I have
3: I, I have I have thoughts about you know m- music copying other music. There nothing. Uh, I I don't feel like there's anything new. I mean, you know, you have what's her face that new artist who I actually really like her music, but she totally ripped off Paramore. But again, it's like ripping off is kind uh-huh. of there's artistry in it. I I don't, I I feel like it's, it's sort of a blah kind of uh, argument because there's so much more you can pick on, on (laughs) Hillsong. Ripping off music is sort of like a, every, every artist does something. Right. But as far as like the kind of, yeah, going back to the, to that urban vibe, the, what was drawing me in, I really felt like, and this was starting to lead towards my uh, awakening to, to my, uh, to how my ethnicity affects how I navigate the world, right? Because I was in a, a very, very white church uh, at emergence, but that was that was right on the doorstop of a predominantly black and Latino town. They didn't um,
2: fit with their environment,
3: right? And and you would think that if you want to, they they love to talk about or oh, mission oriented church. Well, if you're if you have such a mission and you want to be a part of your city, why the hell are you not? Reflecting the the locality that you're in, you're so white. You have people traveling from like Pennsylvania to come to your church.
2: Okay, but was Hillsong different?
3: Yeah, Hillsong. So here's the thing about Hillsong NYC is that because of the branding, the marketing, you know, they took over Times Square with that. When the when the No Other Name album came out, you know, they 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 they, they put the the things all over the Times Square billboards and yeah, and. Cool. Yeah, Your and so like
1: paid for that, you know, and like
3: that's <laughs> it. wow. Yeah, so so like I definitely got this sense that the people in the seats and the people like that that were greeting, people were that were milling around the the venues. Yeah, it, it certainly was predominantly white because you know it's white evangelicalism that that Hillsong is taking, right? They're replicating Amer- white American evangelicalism. And then they're rebranding it, repackaging it, and selling it back to uh, with
2: a nausea to the accent. US.
3: Yeah, yeah, with, with an Australian accent. But I, that was one of the things that made me feel more comfortable because it was a step away from the completely whitewashed environment that I had been in. Yes, it was so still
2: less wrath, less whiteness.
3: Yeah, yeah, and that was that was what kind of pulled me pulled me in. So,
1: what's the kind of trajectory once you? are um... Start on that leadership thing. And then I guess they get you to do just a little something extra and a little something. Yeah.
3: Next. So like, Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for bringing me back. My ADHD just has me on rabbit trails all over the place. So yeah. So I joined, uh, I joined the greeter team and then I think at, at some point, like there were people that, that started to pick up on who I was and where I was coming from. And, and the fact who that I had, related yeah. To. Also who I was related to. And the fact that I had some, some production experience in, in previous lives And I got connected to, and I had, I had become friends with a guy who was kind of the lead of Hillsong's New Jersey creative operations at the time. He was the creative team lead uh, in, at Montclair. And I became friends with him and he kind of pulled me in and said, Hey, we got this, this role that we really need. It's sort of this leadership role and, and we need somebody to fill it. And it was the, the the creative producer at the time. And then they changed the title to service producer because they hired somebody and called them creative producer. So then I ended up producing their Sunday services, which was uh, a lot that of just like... That
2: was quite an experience for you.
3: Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. That's where, well, you know, I had my eyes open to some of the green room stuff. Right. You know, I was...
1: Okay. Mm. Like what, say? What you mean? Tell so, us your green room.
3: <laughs> so uh, there was one... Uh, I mean, quite a few times being up in the pastor's green room and just kind of seeing what was in there. Like the band green room, the creative green room had like, you know, a box of Joe, (laughs) you know, donuts, like a a box of donuts from from Duncan. Uh, Nothing that special. And they would crowd like, you know, 50 or 60 people into this green room. The band, production staff, everybody was just kind of packed into into the band slash production green room and then there was the pastor's green room and the pastor's green room was never that crowded it was like you know dimly lit with some atmosphere and they had an espresso machine they had you know freshly hard-boiled eggs you know freshly cut fruit hand-cut fruit fresh flowers like in a in a vase
1: kanya did you guys have green rooms in australia i'm wondering if that was a new york thing I mean, I don't know the extent. Obviously, if when they had conference internationally, there would have been all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But there is like oh yeah,
3: I saw that for sure. Yeah, when conference uh, came to when conference came to New, New Jersey, I was volunteering, and that was like a whole a whole thing. That, that was, was huge like, for like, you. Conference like,
1: like, flowers, or like what is it? You got something against flowers? What? <laughs> like with, yeah, I hate flowers. he's like, ew,
2: flowers. Yeah. No,
3: you know. So, issue. okay. So, so what it was was that the, these past the pastors had these incredibly just posh, like lavish, comforted lives. Which I, you know, at the time I didn't really think about. I was like, ooh, the mm-hmm. pastors. Had, and they had like Fiji water bottles in in the little mini fridges in the in in the room and. You know, I used to like when when the sermon was going on. That was like a perfect opportunity to like sneak up into the pastor's green room and, and grab an espresso or something or steal. How did you get stickers. into
2: there? Did you like some special oh, backstage pass uh, or something?
3: Yeah. So as a producer, so okay, so as as a service producer, I have my my morning meeting with the various creative teams. So whether it was video production, the the music director, and then the music director and I would go up to the pastor's green room to meet with the pastors, the, the preacher of the day, the MCs and the events uh, team lead. And we would kind of walk through the service and the elements of the service and, and kind of just plan everything out. And, you know, if there were any, you know, specific slides that, that the pastor wanted the video team to put up on the screen, all of that stuff. And we would, we would have that little meeting because, you know, God forbid the pastor actually goes and talks to a, a video switcher himself.
1: So I um, mean, if we are talking the big names here? Are you rubbing shoulders with the big boys at this point? Is that?
3: Uh, I mean, uh, not the big big boys. I mean, like the <laughs> the, you
1: know, Carl, the you know the guys I mean? like, who
2: like, fathom themselves to be big big boys. Yeah, do these,
3: they yeah, everybody like? everybody fancies, fancies themselves on their way up.
1: Thought that'd do us for a bit of a cliffhanger for this week. Now, there's a lot coming up. Speaking of New York, there will be a Vanity Fair documentary series, two parts, May 19. Uh, I guess that takes us into Saturday, Australia time. I hadn't thought about that. Then a week after that, another two episodes. And one of the writers said to me, we've made a phenomenal series. And for them to say that, I was like, okay. There's a trailer floating around with Kyle himself in it talking about you know making mistakes and stuff so there's a lot of controversy and conjecture all around of course yours truly is a part of that so here we go keep an eye as always on social media please to get any updates there's just so much going on trying to keep up with it all please send your feedback your messages they're awesome you're awesome be kind to yourselves Yeah. You know, it's all going to come dredging up again if we can find a way and I will to watch this down here wherever we are in this place it's island marooned so you know keep an eye out for the people around you and let's find new ways to keep leaving Hillsong part two will be out as soon as possible and we'll talk then bye